Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week, I am going to talk to Nate Osfar, and most people would know him as a tournament muskie angler. And of course, I cannot have one of the most, we'll call them decorated tournament anglers on without going down and talking a little bit of tournament fishing. But we're going to lean all of our conversations to try to help out every one of you that does not fish tournaments. So we're not going to gear it necessarily towards tournaments, but we, we can't do, we can't help but talk a little bit about catching fish in tournaments because Nate and his partner, Matt, have probably been on one of the most successful runs of, you know, musky anglers in musky tournament history. They've, um, you know, won multiple PMTT events. Recently, they won the Minnesota Musky Trail Tournament. Uh, they've been, you know, PMTT Top Gun Team of the Year a bunch of times, and I don't want to take anything away from the other anglers that are very successful in these tournaments as well. There's many of them, but I mean, I think if we were going to take a poll on, you know, top three teams, almost everybody would vote for for Nate to be within that, you know, top three teams. He's just been uh, incredible incredibly consistent i guess i would say is the way you would describe nate and he's got a ton of information that he can bring we're going to talk a little bit about the power of rubber baits breaking down new waters mistakes musky anglers make uh we'll go down five questions and just uh we, we talk a little bit about you know what makes a good spot a good spot how many times you're going to go back to fish it before you claim it maybe isn't a good spot and so hopefully some of the information in this week's episode will help you put an extra muskie in the net yet this season. And that's for those of us that have seasons, you know. And oddly enough, last week when I recorded a podcast, it was like 90 degrees out. It felt definitely like it was uh, summertime. And we've made a 180 degree swing over the course of a week. You know, winds, uh, north winds have kicked up. The water temperatures are dropping. We have frost advisories at night. So we're definitely into fall now. And, uh, you know, things are, are progressing quickly as far as water temperatures. I would imagine in some places we're going to start to be in the turnover consideration and, uh, and all that fun stuff that we get to deal with in October. And so if you're still on the water and you're still out chasing muskies, make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com where your source for everything for musky, your musky needs. And probably not before this episode comes out, but we've, we, we've been at... We've been active buying more and more stuff. I talk about it every single week, but we're 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 working on some some stuff to get some more reels in the shop, and they've arrived. I don't know if they'll be online by the time we get here, and so that's just one of the many things. You know, if you're looking for sucker rigs, that's a huge thing right now, especially with the water temperatures dropping. Sucker rigs are they're they're a staple i guess we'll say they're wisconsin i know they've even been very popular in minnesota as well if you're looking for sucker rigs we got uh, your shumway rig we just got a whole pile of stuff in from smitty we have some stuff from stealth tackle it feels like i'm missing out on somebody for rigs you're looking for bobbers and all that fun stuff we have you covered but the the smitty rigs we have a multiple different styles they have a new supreme rig with a nose clip and they have one without it and so we have you covered for all your sucker needs so if you want, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And once again, Brad is off fishing this week. I don't know how many weeks in a row that makes it. For sure two in a row, but probably more like four out of five weeks, Brad's off fishing. But if you need gear, check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. They're your source for big-bladed, flashy-boo bucktails. But no but no other BSing. I'm going to just get right into the conversation I had with Nate Osfar. 
All right, my guest this week is Nate Osfar, and for tournament for people that follow musky fishing tournaments, Nate is absolutely a household name. I don't know that he is in the larger circle of musky angling, but he certainly should be. Him and his partner Matt have wrapped, racked up numerous wins, both in or all in the PMTT, and then I know you know Nate, you fished at KWM out of Pelican Lake, the Kevin Worrell Memorial Tournament. And you've done really well on that. In fact, I think you're probably on what back-to-back wins with the uh, Minnesota Muskie Trail, I believe. Didn't you? You you guys just won that one, and I'm fairly positive you won the KWM as well, right? Yes, we did. All right. So, <laughs> Nate, it's it's pretty unbelievable actually the run that you two are on, and you specifically, because I like I said, I know you do some fishing without um, your your partner Matt. What before we get too far into it, I I kind of just want to know a little bit like. What made you decide that you wanted to get into tournament musky angling? We'll go down the background in a minute, but for for people that really want to dive into you, like what what did you just wake up one day and you were like, "Hey, I've caught a bunch of muskies. I think I want to try to take this to another level." Or what was the motivation there? Uh, I guess um, at, at the time it was I was starting to have uh, some pretty regular success fishing and. I started seeing the results of tournaments and thought I I could probably do that and, you know, a way to pay for the hobby. Uh, also, I like the competition. You know, it makes every, every fish is exciting. Basically, any tournament legal fish uh, gets your heart going, you know, like a, like a 52-incher does, in, you know, when you're fun fishing. So it's, it's kind of a, I guess, a different kind of excitement when you hook into a fish. You know, the one thing I find to be crazy is you talked about how uh, you're hoping you were hoping the tournament thing would help pay for some of your fun fishing, which certainly makes sense. And you guys have done it. But I would say very few anglers are actually able to accomplish that, which you and Matt have done is uh, I would say it's almost simply amazing. Right. I mean, if we want to go down the history of musky tournaments, you two have to be mentioned up there amongst the top three teams, if not the top the top team. Wouldn't you agree? You know, I guess I always look at a guy like Mark Lajewski is kind of the, you know, the all-time great. And, I, you know, I just try and compete the best that I can. And, uh, you know, Matt's a great partner since him and I have started fishing together. It's definitely, uh, we, we, you know, we've had more success as a team than we had, you know, without each other. So if you want to make money, fishing musky tournaments is, is really not a great um <laughs> You know, it's not a great idea if you want to make money. Um, I guess if you stick to local tournaments where you don't have a lot of travel expenses and um, you can uh, know the water well already and have pretty good idea of daily patterns, weekly patterns, you know, seasonal patterns, what's going on, uh, I think it makes it a little bit more possible. And that's kind of how we started. And it, you know, kind of branched out from there as you gain confidence learning new water and. Um, being able to break down quickly and, you know, compete with the guys that, that, you know, a lot of times you get the local guides out there and to, I guess, be able to compete with people that have been fishing a lake for, you know, 20, 30 years, it, it, uh, you know, you get a sense of accomplishment out of it. So let me kind of, I don't want to specifically gear this to tournaments because I would say the majority of our anglers that listen aren't tournament musky anglers, but like aside from the financial aspect for you guys, you know, for somebody that's just getting into a, tur- you know, thinking about tournaments, they're on the fence about it. What would you say the benefits are to tournament fishing? 
it will 100% make you a better muskie fisherman. Um, you get to see how some of the, you know, best muskie anglers out there approach lakes, weather conditions, spots, you know, you get to watch people do boat control. I get you get to know a lot of guys and as you kind of get to know people a lot of times the um, drinks and information start flowing a lot easier. There are secrets, you know, and there are guys that aren't going to tell you anything. And then there's guys you get to know that tell you just about everything. And, you know, you kind of share information back and forth after the tournament. It kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what you did wrong or right. And, you know, how you could probably do better the next time. And, um, you can take everything you learn and apply it to your everyday fishing and you're, you're going to catch more fish in the long run. All right, so let's back it up a little bit, Nate. I kind of skipped over because I was, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about tournaments, but let's go to the beginning. Where did you go from fishing, or and who got you involved in fishing first, and then what skewed you to go to muskies? Because there's always some one you can always pinpoint it to one person in your life that ruined your life by making you chase muskies. Like, do you have that same influence that the most that most of us have? Uh, I guess my dad was always, you know, very into fishing and I started fishing at a young age and uh, he did a small amount of musky fishing. And I guess I was, as a kid, I always liked, uh, I guess, bass fishing, you know, cause you get, it's just a more, um, more active type of fishing. You're casting, you're working baits. You're not, you know, it's not a jig and a minnow or a crawler harness for walleyes that you're dragging on the bottom. It's a little bit more visual a lot of times. I guess we're on a family vacation and uh, my dad's deal with me because he hated bass fishing was he'd always make me catch enough live frogs to go bass fishing because that, that was his way of going bass fishing. So it'd basically take me the whole week to catch enough live frogs, you know, and we put them on a, a snagless hook and basically cast them out, let the frog do their thing. And I mean, it, it was effective. You'd catch some pretty big bass doing it, but uh, the first muskie I hooked ate a live frog and wasn't a big fish, maybe 38 inches. But after that, and I was probably eight years old when that happened. After that, all I wanted to do was catch muskies. Uh, I started muskie fishing, I think I was probably nine the first time I went. I had a uh, little bait casting outfit that uh, I practiced casting with in the, in the front lawn just to get good at casting. And um, I think I caught my first muskie when I was 10. And, uh, you know, in Wisconsin, we all talk about your first legal, you know, at the time, I believe a legal fish was 32 inches and I think I was 13. I caught a, a 35 incher and that was my first legal. And from then until probably college, you know, I, I guess I was an occasional musky fisherman. Uh, I didn't, you know, whenever my dad would go, you know, would take me or whatever I would go. I had a couple friends with boats, but I ended up. I guess kind of losing interest in college. I dropped out and started working and then I could afford my own boat. And um, that was kind of early two thousands. And I guess from then maybe 2003, I think I've probably musky fished almost every weekend from, you know, of musky season, basically the whole weekend took, you know, from opener until the lakes freeze. Okay. So you're one of those, I, I mean, as I assume you're one of those guys that's going to be out there, you know, breaking ice at boat landing or boat landings to get out and, and fish. 
you know, the last three or four years, uh, when it gets too tough to go up north, just either snow, ice, or just once that water gets below 38 degrees, the bite gets pretty tough up north, and it's pretty slow action. Yeah, you got a chance at a giant, but the lakes you're fishing are already low density, and then you're coupled with a very tough bite. I've done a lot of river fishing the last three or four years, and I, we've got fish up to almost 50 inches on the Wisconsin River uh, in December. And uh, so I've been doing a lot of fishing on the Wisconsin River from usually around Thanksgiving until, I don't know, December 17th, 20th, right in, you know, just about till Christmas time. And then I usually give it up. But All right. Well, you know, I didn't necessarily plan to go down the road of late late fall fishing if you got a couple tips you can offer up because i'm assuming you're doing most of this casting you don't strike my you don't strike me as much of a troller so uh, what what keeps you out there how do you keep your hands warm how do you stay on the water when it's you know i mean because by december 20th and 15th and whatever it's cold in wisconsin yeah and i guess when i look at late fall fishing I, I'm a caster, I would say 95% of all my muskie fishing. I kind of, uh, I do a lot of live bait fishing in the fall. Uh, I guess I, I think it's it's an art that some people, I guess, don't appreciate, but uh, there's a difference between dragging a sucker and presenting live bait. And so I do do a lot of live bait fishing. Usually the what tactics I use are are based on the weather a lot. Casting in 22, 23 degrees, it just doesn't go that well sometimes. And um, sometimes you're limited to what you can do effectively. So I, I have trolled in the late fall. I have caught big muskies trolling in the late fall. It's not really my preferred method. Um, I basically, I'll cast whenever possible and, you know, work live bait along uh, done a lot of jigging bondies and whatnot, you know, down deep in Cisco, um, staging and spawning areas or outside of the spawning areas. Uh, so just about any type of fishing I can, you know, whatever the weather allows me to do, I'll do. Uh, just being out there in that kind of conditions is, you know, enough of a challenge a lot of times. I mean, I've had, you know, some hairy, hairy driving experiences with a boat behind me on, you know, on icy roads and, uh, uh, just getting out there sometimes is enough of a challenge. Yeah. I mean, well, like I said, you got to deal with all the elements involved, whether it be pulling a boat, launching a boat, you know, just being out in the elements. It's, you know, like if you go ice fishing, it's one thing you can kind of hide out in a shack and you get some, you know, reprieve from the wind. You can heat up a little bit better, things like that. It's certainly a lot more comfortable than being like right out in the elements. And it seems like that, you know, with that open water in the late fall or late, late fall, I mean, you're talking almost winter. It, it creates a bit of humidity as well, which seems to just make things a little bit more miserable. It's, it's definitely a different animal. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely days I've questioned what I'm doing out there, but, uh, you know, you hope you catch a nice fish and makes it all worth it. But, you know, sometimes you, you catch nothing, but the, uh, I guess the, the late, late fall river bite usually has pretty good action when you find the right areas. And, uh, you know, you're doing the right technique that, that works. It's, it can be pretty fast action and a lot of fun. And so I guess it keeps it interesting. You know, one quick question before we go there, we're going to change up topics a little bit. When you're fishing late fall like that, 
Are you trying to hit up multiple spots or are you kind of camping more? I am a camper. Most of the time when water temperatures get below, say, 45, 43 degrees, right, right in that range, you know, most of the lakes I'm fishing, I, I know exactly where the, where the Cisco's are spawning. There's also certain shoreline areas that just seem to stack up muskies. You know, even before, you know, now everyone's got live scope and, and you know, forward-facing sonar, which I have too when I, I use it. But even just with sonar, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I was able to, you know, see muskies on sonar pretty easily when they're deep in the fall. So it's pretty, you know, you find them and then a lot of times it's just waiting out the feeding window. The windows can be, you know, so short and generally the fish become very, very aggressive for a short period of time. It's not uncommon. Uh, I mean, you can catch three or four fish in a 20 minute, half hour window and that's it for the day. Sometimes it's centered around the moon. Sometimes they just have a certain time. They, they seem to get active. And I, I, I wish I could tell you why it's that time. But basically, I, I try and get out there at first light. And I stay till, you know, a little past dark, even, even late in the season, and try and hit one of those windows. All right. So, Nate, let's talk about breaking down new water. And obviously, with tournaments, you need to go to new places different places i'm sure at this point you fished most of them anyways but at one point they were new to you if somebody's just gonna say they're new to musky angling they don't know a lot of water they don't have a lot to go back on you know you want to talk a little bit about how you break down new water because i think that's one thing that many musky anglers will struggle with and you know i'm no different there I, i struggle with it on occasion as well i guess i try and do research before i even get to the lake i like looking at lake maps you know the i guess little navionics app on my phone i can't tell you how many times i end up you know looking at that and just kind of uh trying to pick out where i think the best spots are going to be and what i'm going to see when i get out there uh so i kind of have an idea of which areas i want to look closer at when i get out there but i'll try and do as much driving and graphing as possible basic and some of it's you know dependent on what type of lake we're talking about you know your approach to something like cave run in early spring is going to be a lot different than say a northern wisconsin lake you know with good weed growth in august or minnesota lake um so you got to kind of take into consideration i guess what type of structure and everything like that you're going to probably be focusing on you know i I guess you don't have too many preconceived no you know notions but you know having some idea of what the bite typically is 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 helpful and you know there's a lot of good reading information out there and you know just searching on the internet you can kind of get an idea of what typically goes on um so a lot of driving and graphing I do do a lot of weed fishing. Uh, I guess I like fishing weeds and I like fishing open water, you know, rocks as well. So I guess it's trying to figure out what type of structure they're using, what depth they're using. And I guess there's a lot of things now with electronics, with side imaging, and, and, you know, now with the, you know, the live scope, mega live, whatever else, you can, you know, oftentimes see muskies pretty easily. And, 
can get a better idea of where they're sitting a lot faster. But I try and drive as much of the lake as possible. I, you know, pay closer attention to, you know, the areas on a map that look like, you know, good musky spots. After a while, you just kind of, you know, kind of can pick them out on a map and say, you know, if there's decent weed growth on this spot, this is going to be a good spot, you know. And try and I throw down a lot of waypoints. Basically, I'm always looking for either with sonar or side imaging, um, you know, any type of inside turns in the weeds, points in the weeds where, uh, you know, the weeds change. Uh, after a while, you can kind of start to pick out what types, what types of weeds um, look like on your sonar, on your 2D and side imaging can to a point, but I think it's a little more difficult with 2D. I can tell pretty easily what I'm looking at. And a lot of times you'll see, you know, the weeds change in a certain area where it goes from, you know, coontail to, you know, cabbage or something like that. Just something different, some type of change. Um, those transition areas are huge. Um, so I guess looking for little different, you know, differences on a spot where you think that that might be a, you know, a cherry spot, something to concentrate on. And then a lot of it's going back and, you know, and, and fishing and trying to figure out what the best pattern may be. And a lot of times when we're pre-fishing, if it's brand new water, we're, we're trying to catch fish. You know, I guess we're throwing baits that we know we catch fish with if there's you know a, a local a lot of times you 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 know you hear oh yeah you know this bait on you know this lake it's really popular that it's just kind of common knowledge so um one of us may be trying a lot of the you know the the local favorites that that people use out there and seeing if there really is any validity to that presentation whereas the other guys kind of using our tried and true I guess when it comes to presentation and tournaments, we're pretty basic. I mean, we're not throwing anything that different than a lot of guys are, but I think it's more about how you're fishing it than what you're fishing a lot of times to, to trigger the bites. So you were talking about good areas. Let's talk about this a little bit. So how, let's just say you've pinpointed an area that you'd say is good, air quotes good. How many times are you going to go back and fish that spot with, without seeing a fish or without catching a fish before you're just like, this isn't a good spot. Because I would assume that you found some spots that are amazing. You think should have fish on them all the time and they just don't produce for whatever reason. I guess first thing I got to, you got to take into consideration, Jeff, what kind of density water are we talking? I mean, there is, you know, some lakes I fish that are extremely low, you know, you're basically fishing for the one. I got a lake I fish quite a bit and tend to struggle like everybody does out there, but I do have success at times and the fish are generally big. And I caught a nice one a couple of weeks ago and uh, a friend that also fishes the lake asked, you know, what kind of spot I caught it on. And, and I told him and he's like oh so you've caught fish there before i'm like no that's the first fish i've ever seen there he's like well how many times have you fished the spot i'd say at least 50 and so when you're on very low density water sometimes you just have to have that i guess tenacity and gut instinct to know that you, you really are fishing good spots it's just that there's very few fish present and 
you know, you just got to keep fishing them. And it's funny, like, uh, you know, on this particular lake, it's a lot of the big fish I've caught. It's been the only fish I've ever caught off that spot. Um, now, if we're talking in normal density water, I guess I'm going to fish it multiple times in a lot of different times of the year because there's on lakes that I know very well that have, you know, good populations that I've caught, you know, hundreds of fish out of. I've kind of got to the point where it's like, I know this weed line here is all, you know, there, there could be a fish on it at any time, but I know it seems like it's an August weed line, you know, where this weed line over here just can be fish on at any time, but it's always seems to be best in July. So you kind of get your milk run down for, you know, water, you know, based on water temperature, time of year, uh, weather, everything like that. And I guess, uh, you just kind of get a feel for which spots are good when. So when you're on new water, you don't have that history. So it makes it a lot more difficult. And I guess now, like, you know, we got a lot more cheats available to us now than we ever had before. And some of those cheats can come in handy at time. I guess I don't really put a, a you know, a set number or, I do a lot just by feel and gut instinct when I'm fishing and, um, how, you know, how the wind's hitting a spot. Is there bait there when there's never been bait there before? So, you know, until I'm on the water that day, a lot of times I don't know what spots I'm going to fish. I don't ever go, go to a lake and say, I'm going to fish this spot, then this spot, then this spot, then this spot. Um, I usually have an idea of what I think I'm going to do, but it changes constantly based on what I'm seeing out there. And I think w when you try to develop a game plan before you even get on the water, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for a defeat. A lot of times you, you got to learn to, you know, trust your electronics, you know, see what you're, see what you're seeing out there and kind of get a feel for what you think the fish should be doing. And then, you know, try to exploit it. So, I don't know if I answered that <laughs> quite. It's, it's a tough question to answer because, yeah, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I'd fish a spot without seeing one. Uh, on a regular density body of water, I guess if I fished a spot probably 20 times over a couple seasons and never moved a fish there, I'm probably not going to fish it very much. But Well, I got a couple spots on Green Bay that I think are like dynamite. They should produce fish like every time and I've never caught one on them yet. And it doesn't stop me from, like you said, going out there. Cause maybe this is the, maybe, maybe this is the time, right? And this next, this next trip over there, this is the one and it's going to pay off, but it hasn't yet. I don't fish green Bay. Like I used to, I used to fish it quite a bit. So it was uh, that you just find spots. And like you said, you were trusting your electronics. You drive around a lot in the early days of green Bay. Now, if you're if you want to get on the Green Bay learning curve real quick and you don't mind fishing around people, you just go f find 400 boats and you're good to go. But, um, <laughs> you know, you know what it is. I'm sure you've been out there. Oh, yeah, I try. I, I guess uh, the lure of uh, big fish is there. And uh, it's been a few years since I've been out there. I just I don't enjoy the, the mass of boats. I agree with that. All right. So we we'll kind of break this down a little bit. Like how much does your approach change when you're tournament fishing versus your fun fishing? Like in tournaments, you talked about it. You said, 
you know, small fish and you can stack them up and those add up and small fish in tournaments are as exciting as big fish fun fishing. I'm assuming when you're tournament fishing, you're looking for numbers of fish. When you're fun fishing, you're pretty much going to target large fish. Is that correct? Yeah, I guess uh, when I'm fun fishing, I, I rarely, I would say I almost never go to a lake that's known for action without a, a chance at large fish. And uh, I guess large fish in Wisconsin is, I guess I always look at a, a trophy as pretty relative to the body of water or the area you're fishing. And um, I'm generally fishing lakes that have a, a you know decent population of, I would say, upper 40 inch and, and bigger fish. So that's really, you know, the only lakes I'll fish for fun right now. I just, I've done enough you know, muskie fishing on action waters for tournaments and stuff. I just, I don't really have the urge to go out and catch three or four, you know, upper 30 inch fish. I'd rather, you know, take my lumps and, and go for one, you know, one big one. And But my approach changes, I guess you almost got to look at it two ways, Jeff. You know, I was just on Leech Lake for a week uh, for that Minnesota, the Minnesota Muskie Trail Tournament. Uh, I, I guess I'll just kind of start with pre-fishing because uh, there's a there's a big difference between tournament fishing and, and fun fishing. And so we were there for, I went there a couple days early, but we pre-fished, I think, oh, five or six days. And I think we caught three, three or four, four, four um, pre-fishing. And then, you know, the first day of the tournament, we caught four and lost four. So we go from four and five or six days to, to four and one day. And a lot of times when we're pre-fishing, we're trying to eliminate water as much as we're trying to find the spots we're going to fish. And uh, we found the area we knew we were going to fish relatively early and then stayed away from it until, you know, the tournament day. And then we basically sat we did one drift over and over and over and over again all day long just because we knew that's where the most fish were and it paid off i guess fun fishing it's pretty rare that i fish except for late fall that i fish one spot all day long um in fact i can say i don't know if i've ever done that now that's kind of green bay fishing in a you know you you look at what guides do out on green bay and they know the exact spots that big muskies use and there's a lot of spot locking that goes on out there just because they know where the cherry is and they're going to sit there and they're going to have their clients cast in the best water and just wait for the fish to bite but i guess fun fishing i i do i'm moving around quite a bit more than in a tournament in a tournament generally i've got a couple you know maybe two or three areas that we know have fish that we want to concentrate on and unless it's you know three quarters of the way through day one and, not, and nothing's happened and you know that conditions have changed and you need to change your game plan uh we rarely you know fish new water or spots that we haven't moved you know fish on i guess unless pre-fishing went particularly poorly you know so fish a lot more spots i guess i'm still kind of a uh uh, ADHD. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm go, go, go. I don't take breaks really. 
I kind of pride myself on efficiency, trying to cover as much water as I can, as thoroughly as I can. And um, so I guess that part of fishing, it's, you know, me fun fishing versus me in a tournament isn't that much different. But I guess a lot of it's just the number of spots I fish. I'm more prone to experimenting when I'm fun fishing. You know, a lot of times my fun fishing is... I've, I've still got tournament fishing in the back of my head. I'm trying different baits and different techniques and stuff that, you know, I haven't had success with before. Um, trying to, I guess, learn new tactics, gain confidence and, you know, new things. And a lot of times I'm going back to the, the tried and true by the end of the day, because I know it works. All right. So let me, you said a couple of things in that, in your explanation there that I had other questions on i guess all right so we're talking we're talking about the minnesota tournament recent minnesota tournament you said there was a spot that you guys found pre-fishing and that you knew that was going to be the spot and i'm not asking you to name the spot but what was it about that spot in particular that you were like yes this is this is what we're looking for after a day and a half of fishing where i thought the fish should be and and conditions look pretty good, you know, and when conditions look good and you're not moving fish, you, you, you got to start second guessing what you're doing and trying new things. And I mean, I, I, I guess I, we, we fished a ton of shallow water because it, it's Minnesota, it's September. Generally, Minnesota has a pretty good shallow bite. Uh, water temps were about perfect, you know, mid 60s. Uh, that's kind of prime for, you know, shallow water fishing. So, uh, and I guess one thing I have found, uh, on Leech Lake in particular is the fish really tend to pack up on spots. Generally where you find a fish, there's several more. And when you find a few of them, there's probably a lot of them. So we switched up and, and started targeting some some deeper weeds started moving fish almost immediately we moved them on a spot i had never fished before and i had one spot in the back of my head and it was kind of on the way back to the cabin we were staying at so uh i said i had a buddy just one of my buddies was fishing with me before matt uh drove over to to start pre-fishing and I told him, I said, we're going to take a run because if they're on deep weeds, there's going to be fish on this spot, I think, because this, you know, the spot I wanted to go to is just a better spot. And uh, we went there and I caught a 44, probably the first 20 minutes we were there and we saw, I don't know, three or four other fish that kind of told me that there was probably a pile of fish there. And so when Matt got there the next day, uh, we started checking out a lot of other spots that were similar, and I did catch one other fish. We saw a couple, but it was not not anything like the action I had, you know, the night before. And two days before the tournament, we, you know, I told Matt, I said, let's go back and check that spot and just see if there's still fish there. And we went back there. I took 10 casts and caught one, and I said, okay, we're not taking another cast here and i don't want anyone to see us here uh and we fished a lot of different areas around that stretch 
trying to see if there was, you know, fish somewhere adjacent to it and had very little, well, no action, I should say. We did see another boat catch a big fish uh, on one of the other areas adjacent to it, um, but we did not have any success there. And I was had my fingers crossed that the plan was going to pay off and uh, that there was a lot of fish there and it was a rather small field for the tournament. So we had no competition really whatsoever that we had one other boat that knows the, the water well that we've fished next to many times on Leech Lake and uh, they're very respe- respectful guys and they kept their distance and uh, we had kept our distance in previous tournaments when they were doing well. So. You know, I guess it's it's nice to it's it's nice when people repay the favor. So they they knew we had something going on, and and we're you know pretty cool about it. And uh, we pretty much had our stretch there to ourselves, and yeah, we had a lot of chances in one day at fish. So let's say you go into it, you know, you go into a day of fishing, not necessarily a tournament of fishing, and you're. You know, you, you kind of have an idea of where the fish should be located and, 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 you know, what they should be doing. But then, you know, as you're going throughout the day, it doesn't materialize. Like, how long are you going to stick to stick to that pattern that maybe you had the day before or, you know, two days prior or whatever before you're like, yeah, things have changed. We need to change. You know, again, it's, it's a lot of it's based on the, uh the condition i mean does it look like fish should be biting or does it look like it's going to be a tough day if it looks like a good day you know you get some you know good weather uh maybe some clouds and a chop on the water and you you feel like you should be moving fish i'm gonna start trying different things a lot sooner than when it's you know a light southeast wind bright sun not a cloud in the sky and I kind of got the feeling that it's, you know, it's going to be a really tough day. When it's going to be a really tough day, I, I usually don't try a lot of new stuff. I, a lot of times, I may try different, you know, fishing spots at a little different depths. Um, but a lot of times I'm fishing the same spots over and over and over again. Um, and I'll kind of stick to the cherry rather than fishing a big long weed line i'm more or less you know fishing spots on a spot of you know as many spots as i can and kind of rotating them just so i'm you know i'm there when there's a fish biting yeah that makes sense i mean i can i could definitely see that paying off i i've actually think i've seen you do it paying paying off and when i I have fished against you in a couple tournaments and i've seen you know you're your tactics pay off on, on occasion as well. So, uh, okay, let's see here. Moving on. Let's, uh, cause quite honestly, we could go well past the uh, 45 minute mark, but in a respect of your time, I will, uh, try to keep it in that ballpark, but let's talk about, I'm sure it's no secret. You love rubber baits. What is it about a rubber bait that you find to be something the muskies just can't resist? I think it moves and feels more like, uh, you know, a, a, a real bait fish in the water than any other bait we, you know, we use. It's just the way it moves water. It doesn't rattle, clank, you know, anything like that. 
the vibration is more natural than a bucktail. I'll be completely honest, and, and I, I can't tell you why this is, but I have had my worst year on rubber in Wisconsin since I've started musky fishing, I think, this year. And now every fish we caught on leech was on rubber. So I, I, it was working really good there, but it's been all, you know, since probably middle of July for me, it's been all blades and top water and never normally I maybe catch two, three fish a year on, on blades. And I mean, I've been, there's a lot of weekends I've had, you know, multiple, multiple nice fish on blades this year. So it's, it's been a weird bite for me and I can't explain don't know why that is uh i know other guys that have done well on it but i guess a lot of it's probably the particular days i'm fishing and i guess i've done a fair amount of night fishing and you know i have done well with rubber after dark but yeah it, it hasn't been a great year for rubber but i uh usually in the fall it gets better so i'm sure it's gonna gonna come around again but if something's working i just keep doing it i try not to try not to force something that isn't working to happen but i guess i also like the fact it, it's very versatile i can use the same bait to fish in four feet of water as you know in in 40 feet of water it's you know and that's kind of an extreme um example but i guess i can if i'm fishing down a weed line i can you know i can take a medusa you know and throw it up into you know, thick, thick weeds and, you know, rip through, rip, rip through shallow weeds, pause when I get to the, you know, the, to the end of the weed line, let it sink a little bit and then work it down a break, rip it up at the boat. It's, it's, I, I guess I read, you know, Muskies on a Shield by Dick Pearson a, a lot of, you know, a lot of years ago. And he had a term crested wrench bait, meaning, uh, you know, a very versatile tool because you know baits are tools as he pointed out and i guess i i look at a lot of rubber baits as you know the ultimate crescent wrench baits just because you can use them in so many different i guess areas depths everything like that and without having to grab another rod switch baits just based on your retrieve your you know rod tip position the speed everything like that and i guess you can you can definitely trigger baits with rubber that you can't trigger with other baits, I think. It's just a, a, a very good triggering tool for fish um, by, I guess, mixing up, you know, the intensity and um, length of rips, the speed, uh, I guess, extended pauses. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but there's, you know, a hundred different ways you can work a bait. And it's funny when a lot of times matt and i fishing in a tournament um, most of the tournaments we've won or done well in i would say by the you know middle part of day one we both have the exact same bait on and it's funny how at certain times one guy can be getting all the bites and the other guy isn't um and it, it can it can move back and forth between matt and i because one of us is doing something just a little bit different with the bait that the fish want. And then it's kind of, you know, we're 
pretty good at watching the other guy and trying to figure out, okay, yep, he's giving it a longer pause or no, he's using, you know, slower retrieve, his bait's going deeper. Uh, I guess there's a lot of, you know, different, you know, different ways to, to work baits. And sometimes the fish really prefer something different. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, like you said, I think it's one of those crescent, crescent wrench tools and, you know, I'm, I probably read the same book that you did. The tools are definitely, I, I look at baits as tools as well. You know, like there's certain tools that are better for certain jobs. So, okay. So then let's talk about this before we jump into five questions. Nate, I, like I said, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time in these podcasts. I've been trying to keep in that 45 minutes to an hour range. Uh, I'd certainly love to talk to you more about this at a different time, but let's talk about mistakes muskie anglers make. If you could give me two mistakes that you see that muskie anglers make most often, what would you think they are? I guess, I think a lot of people get way too caught up in, you know, when you fish tournaments, you, 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 you learn that, I guess, there's always somebody that figures it out. Okay. And a lot of times I think your average everyday muskie fisherman can sometimes get down on themselves because, you know, you have a really tough day and you go back to the boat landing and, you know, here, here's a guy that caught four fish out there, you know, two big ones, whatever, you know, and, uh, it's pretty easy, I guess, to really start second guessing everything you're doing and almost, confuse yourself to the point where you don't know what to do so i think you just got to go out there sometimes and not worry about what other people are doing and and you know do what you do best and and i guess try and try and catch fish there's so many there's so much information available now it can almost be a you know an information overload and i guess i tend to see people overanalyze stuff too much and i mean you know they're cold-blooded creatures and you know you're trying to wait for them to eat don't make it more difficult than it is although sometimes it seems really difficult so i guess i'd say yeah try not to to confuse yourself too much and worry about everything and and just go out and fish and i guess let it happen um a lot of the stuff you know, that makes you a better angler. Just, it's just time more than anything, I guess. And I mean, time on the water, it's, you're going to learn a lot. And I'd say the second thing I see people do that I think is a mistake is probably fishing through good spots too quickly. Um, If it's a really good spot, I'll slow down and pick it apart. And I notice a lot of times it is sometimes with these fish, it's the second or third cast um, to a cherry spot that triggers them. And I tend to, I guess, fish fast through areas that haven't historically been good. But when I get to, you know, a spot that I know it's, it's good, I'm definitely working it a lot harder and different cast angles, um, casting from the spot out to deep water, bringing it back in those spots that historically have always held fish, uh, I guess they deserve the, you know, they deserve a lot of time and attention to fish them right. And it's one of those things where long time ago I was out on a, 
a lake and this is you know before live scope whatever and i had my dad's aqua view out there and we were pre-fishing for a tournament and every time we got done fishing a spot we'd go back and we'd look out with you know with aqua view and i bet you there was muskies sitting on 75 percent of the spots we fished and we didn't move any fish on those spots you know with the whole live scope deal i i had my i have mega live and we fished a really good spot last year and after we got done fishing it i just wanted to take a look around it and i saw five different muskies you know sitting on that spot so i guess a lot of times those good spots have fish on them and you're just waiting i guess either for the window to open or you know for you for you to trigger them so i think those good fish a lot of times are you know in the general vicinity of those really good spots it's just trying to make them bite or wait for them to bite yeah it's interesting well okay so so nate we've been playing a little game called five questions they're uh, i'll throw out five questions they're not necessarily long answers they're typically short answers and so uh, I'll run through a few of them. So I heard you talk about, you know, Mega Live and the importance of it. And so I, my question for you would be if you can only choose, you know, one technological advancement, whether it be, you know, map ch mapping, side imaging, or live scope, Mega Live, whatever your choice would be, which one do you think is the most beneficial? Uh, so is 2D sonar a given? Yeah, I mean, so I guess I guess not. I mean, maybe not. Maybe that would be your only technological advancement. <laughs> I guess if I could only pick one, I'd take 2D sonar. Okay, so the newer advancements, where are we going with that? Uh, 2D sonar and a map chip, and I, I would feel pretty comfortable fishing in a tournament against anybody. Okay, because I had a friend of mine... He sent me a text after one of the most recent episodes, and he said, anybody that's choosing live imaging or, or anybody that's choosing side imaging over live imaging probably doesn't know how to use live imaging correctly. And I, I feel like based on our conversation, you definitely know how to use live imaging correctly. And so, so in, in, your inst in your estimation, if you don't have the latest technology, you can still go out there and be a successful muskie angler. I think, yes, you can. I think there are times when the live imaging gets you a, you know, it does give you an advantage that others don't have. I guess the, the catch 22 is, I think a lot of times it makes you try to fish for an active fish and you waste a ton of time fishing for fish that just aren't going to bite. You can't, I, I've heard, you know, people, oh yeah, you know, people, they, they chase this muskie around for four hours and harass it into biting. Hey, you can't, it doesn't work that way. They swim away when you annoy them. You can cast at fish, you know, for hours, every bait in your box, and they're just not going to bite. So I, I think that there's times it really helps and there's times it hurts. Okay. Question number two. What's a body of water that you'd like to fish that you never have? St. Lawrence River. Okay. Question number three. This goes back to your, your rubber. I know you like rubber baits. If you can choose a bulldog or a medusa, and I'll add in a tube because I know that's also a technique that you like to use. Of those three rubber presentations, and you can only pick one, which one are you going with? I'd probably go, uh, it's a tough one. Um, 
I'd probably go Medusa just for the fact that I think it's got be- it's a little bit better in shallow water than than the tube. Otherwise, you know, that's a tough one. All right. So you can only fish in one state for muskies for the rest of your life. Which state are we going to go in? Hmm. I guess I'll go Wisconsin, and that may not make a lot of sense, but uh, I, I guess I've always felt that you earn your big fish here, and it definitely makes you a, a better fisherman when you learn how to catch them here. So I'll pick Wisconsin. Okay. I think you could get some pushback on that because Minnesota's obviously got a bunch of big fish. One thing I do like yeah. about Wisconsin <laughs> is just how much water we have to fish over here. Like, it seems almost endless is, you know, is how many musky lakes that we have. They may not all be great. They may not all produce 48-inch fish, but we have a ton of areas to fish in Wisconsin. Now, when I'm going to take a trip specifically, you know, to catch big fish, Jeff, I'm going to go to Minnesota, though. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, you know, I don't, I I guess I just look at the the trophies relative, to, you know, I guess uh, to the area you're fishing and, you know, to, to me, uh, catching a 52 out of wisconsin is as much of an accomplishment as probably catching a 57 out of minnesota you know yep uh, and wisconsin's kind of you know the lakes are in my backyard so it's easy for me to fish a bunch but no i i wish we could have i guess the size of fish that well i guess we got green bay but we both talked about green bay and it, it would be nice if we had more bodies of water like green bay in wisconsin Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. All right, last question: If you if you have to choose a bait, big or small, what are we going to rely on more often? Uh, medium isn't a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll go big. I, I guess I'm definitely not the guy that's throwing pounders all the time. I do, you know, I do use large baits, but I would say I use. Uh, larger than average size baits more often. Okay. Let's say 10 inches and bigger. All right. Fair enough. Well, that's five questions. So Nate, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk muskies with us. It's uh, a pleasure to talk with you. I feel like there's, you know, lots of directions that we could go yet. And I feel like we barely scratched the surface, but if our, any of our listeners, I know you do a little bit of guiding, you don't advertise it. You don't, you're not actively seeking it. You have other employment that pays the bills. But if somebody was looking to get in touch with you to go fishing, do you take additional trips? And if so, how do they get in touch with you? Um, I do take some additional trips at times. Uh, they can reach out to me on Facebook. That's probably the best, you know, best way for someone to get a hold of me that doesn't know me. You know, send me a message, and uh, I definitely uh, take you out if I can make the time work. All right. Well, Nate, I want—I really do want to thank you again for your time. I want to thank you for uh, you know br- everything you brought to the episode. I thought it was great. Like I said, you know, two seconds earlier, I feel like we could have went down a whole bunch of different roads and gotten a lot deeper in certain things. But uh, in an effort to keep these episodes at about an hour, uh, I gotta cut—I gotta cut us both off. So thank you for that, and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in for another episode. And we will have another one again for you next week Wednesday. Thanks, Jeff.